Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm Yasrana and today we have another very special episode for you. Not only is the county championship season underway, but the 2019 Wisdom Almanac is also out today. Um, and with me, the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine, Joe Harmon. Welcome, Joe. It's actually been quite a while since you've come it on. It has been a while, hasn't it? Good to be back on. Yeah, excited? Absolutely. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And with us today um, is the editor of the Wizard Almanac, Lawrence Booth. Great to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. Um, should we get straight into it? Lawrence, what's your moment of the week? My moment of the week came when dear old Northamptonshire, um, written off by everyone, uh, asked Middlesex, everyone's favourites for Division 2, to follow on at Wanted Road and didn't lose. That's the crucial bit because last season they asked Middlesex to follow on at Wanted Road and lost. And that was the first time Northampton had ever lost after enforcing the follow-on. So they drew. I should add, they didn't win, they drew, but progress. From that, I'm guessing you're a Northampton fan. I am, yes, long-suffering. They made some interesting signings this season because it, it looked like it was kind of falling to pieces at the back end of last year with yeah. results weren't great. Duckett was on his way out. Uh, lost Gleeson to Lancashire as well. But actually with Holder coming in for a little spell and Bavuma's an exciting signing yeah, as right. well. I think the uh, two guys you mentioned there, Duckett and Gleeson, freed up a bit of cash and right. they, they've invested quite well in their overseas players. Holder's only here for two championship and, and six he, Royal London games. And he can't bowl above a certain number of overs. That, that, I don't think that's true actually. Okay. I, don't, I don't think there is a specific limit. I think it's just manage him properly. Right. Okay. Uh, and Temper Bavuma, as you say, and then Muzurabani, the, the Colpak guy from yeah. Zimbabwe, remains to be seen how he gets on. Fahim Ashraf in the T20. So, and and I'm told they've all got much fitter. I mean, they were known as the Chubsters, which was quite funny. While they were winning the T20 <laughs> two years out of four and reaching another final, when they come ninth in Division Two, it doesn't look quite so funny. Um, there's a high class Middlesex attack as well. Um, Tim Murta, Toby Roland Jones, Steve Finn, James Harris. Um, Roland Jones is a bit of a forgotten man. Not two years ago, he was in the England team. We're recording this at the Oval. He took four wickets on debut, five wickets on debut against South Africa. Looked like a shoe-in for the first Ashes test at Brisbane and now he's kind of 
Uh, well, the injury problems of last year means he's well down the pecking order. And we've talked a lot about batsmen who could play their way into England's Ashes plans. But do you think, Joe, that there's any chance of seeing Roland Jones in an England test team again? Um, it would be a great story if that could happen. I felt really sorry for him. I actually interviewed him a week before he got injured. It was a big interview before the Ashes and you thought that he might have played quite a significant role out there. Then actually, I thought maybe that's not a bad series to miss mm. the way it went for England. But then obviously he had the injury at the start of last year and it, it seems like a a long way back. Uh, England have so many options now. I think it's probably a push, but it would be a great story if it could if it could happen. That game had a kind of farcical end to it as well, um, where Middlesex opened the bowling with Owen Morgan and Stevie Eskenazi to hurry through the overs. Um, yeah, that's not is great, is it? It's Yeah, I mean, it's allowed to happen in County Cricket. The game was going to be a draw anyway, mm. so they thought that... I remember once going to Lords, and it was a, I think it was Knotts playing Middlesex and Swan and someone else got through... 24 overs in 52 minutes, I counted them. And it was simply to get the over rate up. And so, so it can be done. You know, mm. we're always moaning about over rates. They can do it. Well, that was... Uh, Morgan Eskenazi were only bowling to improve their over rate. Um, in North Ant's first innings, um, that four-seam attack, they bowled pretty much the entirety of that inning. So you can understand why they were behind the, um, the over rate they're supposed to have. Um, elsewhere, um, well, Hampshire secured an innings win over... Essex, uh, the team that I tipped for the title. Uh, Sam Northeast with a dandy hundred. Good to see him in the runs. James Vince opening the batting um, before the season started. James Vince said, "Opening for Hampshire isn't a decision based purely on my future and trying to get back in the England side." Jimmy Adams retired last season, and we've lost an experienced opener. That's, that makes sense. But Aidan Markram was batting three, who scores lots of runs, opening the batting for South African Test mm. cricket. Uh, Joe, what's your moment of the week? So my moment of the week was the, the very first ball of the county championship campaign, which was Chris Rusworth nicking off Lewis Rees. I mean, could there have been a more predictable first wicket of the county championship season, the kind of the classic April opener, <laughs> earlier than ever before? Um, and Rusworth just does this year yeah. after year, doesn't he? And then got another one with his third ball, clean bowled Wayne Madsen. Um, but it, even after that start, start, Durham went on to lose quite heavily by over 100 runs to Derbyshire. He'd mm. say would be up there as one of the favourites for the for the wooden spoon. So it's a bad start for Durham, who have I think got another, it always seems to be a difficult year for Durham these these days, but I think probably particularly so this year. And I think the the giving of the captaincy to Cameron Bancroft, I think might cause them more issues than it was worth as well. I mean, I, I think that was an odd call. I understand Alex Lees was mm. offered the role and turned it down and possibly Bain Rain too. And they haven't got a wealth of experienced players there, but uh, Bancroft hasn't struck me as a natural leader in much that he's done so far in cricket. I know Marcus North says that's not the case, mm. that he, he sees leadership qualities there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I know he's digging in at the moment. Um, last saw he's scored about 18 off about 90 balls, so he's, he's fighting hard. But what did you make of that that's, um, appointment as captain? I thought it was weird. Um, you know, it's like, kids, if you want to be a county captain, stuff some sandpaper down your trousers yeah. and you'll be rewarded for it. It was, felt a bit like the message and... Had it, had there not been an Australian director of cricket um, at Durham, Marcus North, then I suspect Bancroft wouldn't have got anywhere near that job. I mean, some of it, Mark Wood said himself that he thought, "Oh, that's an interesting decision," and then then thought, oh, "I better sort of toe the line on this." And said, "But having having had the decision explained to me, it made some kind of sense." Look, I mean, Bancroft will have a point to prove. He want to show everyone he's a good guy and capable of doing it. So in that sense, you could understand the psychology. It just looks a bit weird. Playing under him would be really weird as well, having seen. Um, what's happened in, in public over the last year, having that guy captain your side, it'd be quite hard to take him seriously. And especially he's an outsider coming to that dressing room. It's not as if he's somebody who's been at Durham before. He's coming into the county for the first time as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you 
I suppose you want to respect your captain. That's probably the main emotion mm. you need to have towards your captain, and he's going to have to earn that now, especially after what he's done. So very interesting season ahead at Durham. And even prior to uh, the the whole ball tampering saga, the incident with Bearstow and that press conference with Smith, and he's kind of giggling there. I mean, that I, I don't. It got blown out of all proportion. The whole thing initially mm. got blown out of proportion, but didn't strike me as a as a leader there. No, particularly. Yeah, exactly. It was a pretty sorry episode all round. And then add the sandpaper gate to it. And then, yeah, not exactly captaincy material. Um, there's another interesting result in Division 2. Leicestershire beating Sussex. Sussex are a really good team. Um, Tom Taylor took 10 wickets for Leicestershire in the match. Uh, Sussex won the team's tipped for promotion. Yeah, well, there's that kind of, there's that big three, isn't there, you'd say, with, with Sussex, um, Middlesex and, and Lancashire. And Lancashire. Um, but then just below that, I mean, Leicestershire, also to get that win under their belts without Mohamed Abbas, uh, they actually, I think they could have a, a decent run mm. at promotion this year. Their problem last year, I think Ackerman was the only player to score a championship hundred, so they're obviously mm. going to have to score more runs there. But if they can keep getting involved in 220 plays, 220 plays, 180, then they've got every chance. Yeah, Division 2 um, often maligned for the quality, but today, as we as we record, uh, Middlesex playing Lancashire, and there are 12 test players playing that game, including James Anderson, Glenn Maxwell, uh, Keaton Jennings, etc., etc. So plenty of high-quality cricket happening in Division 2 as well. Um, elsewhere in the county championship, uh, Somerset beat Kent in your kind of classic early season low-scoring game at Taunton, where there was only one score of 50 in the entire game. That was, that was scored by young George Bartlett. Um, my moment of the week was actually uh, Joe Clark nearly scoring twin centuries against Yorkshire. Friend of the podcast, of course, Joe Clark, who was on last week's show. Um, he was cruelly robbed of uh, a, a pair of centuries by his captain, Stephen Mullaney, who declared overnight with Clark on 97. Um, great to see him in the runs after in his first proper county championship game for his new county. Um, nearly batted not to victory, but Gary Balance and Joe Root save the game for Yorkshire, both scoring hundreds in the fourth innings. Do you think, Lawrence, do you think this could... It feels like Joe Clark's been talked about as future England batsman forever and he's still only, what, 20, 22? 22. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think this could be this could be the year? It could be. I mean, the problem he faces, and, and a lot of guys, middle-order batsmen face, is that, that there aren't middle-order spaces up mm. for grabs in the test team. It's the top three that is a problem. So unless these guys are willing to... And you mentioned James Vince earlier, hasn't he's, you know, he? He has moved up partly with an eye on that, that test top three. Can Clark bat in top three? Probably not, but he's he's talented and he... You know, he was bracketed with Ollie Pope for a while, wasn't he? They were the two up-and-coming guys. Pope got tried twice last year against India, out of position, really up at, f- at four, two places higher than he bats at Surrey. So you don't want to rush these guys. If he doesn't play Test cricket within three years, I'd be surprised, though, Joe Clark. Controversial, um, but I find it really strange that England's secured spots are four downwards. Uh, I, you know, it's not. I don't think that's a good message to send out to young players that to get in the team you have to be batting three. Uh, I don't think root aside any of those guys in the middle order demand a spot in the top six. Uh, I know Josh Butler had a really good year, but batting six and not keeping and not bowling is the dream position for a Test batsman, and that's where you want to bed in your best players. And uh, I know he did well, but I honestly don't think James Vince, Ollie Pope, Joe Clark would do any worse than Butler, or I think they would actually do better actually if they were. Uh, in the team of specialist number sixes and I, I kind of think if that position was freed up I, that's a great place to you know so uh, blood in your new players up to three then I have no idea but I don't think that if or Root does it yeah I, I don't think there should be pressure on uh, the young guys who bat four or five in county cricket that if they come in they have to bat three I think uh, yeah I basically think that Butler hasn't scored enough runs to uh, 
say that he has a nailed on spot batting six, not keeping. I think uh, when we've got other guys who potentially could do the job better than him and could bat long-term higher in the order. I'm not saying you should drop Butler. I think right now I'd definitely have him in my team, but I don't think that his place should be guaranteed. Well, it was quite telling that the advice to Vince was bat as high as you can mm. because we're prepared to drop people down the order. What's more difficult is moving people up the mm. order. Now, that's the suggestion that you could then drop in at four or five, but actually mm. it's the justification that they can bat in the top three if they score runs in the top three in county cricket, um, which is a kind of convoluted way of coming around to it. Yeah. I think that the the problem England's batting has faced for for a while now is that they they're underperforming as a unit. Um, that you you look at it on paper and you think that, that on their day they could take a team apart. Um, I'm not talking about the openness here, but but certainly Root, um, Butler, Stokes, Moeen, these kinds of guys. But it just hasn't happened. I mean, there's a, researching this for for wisdom. I think since since the Melbourne Test at the end of 2017. They've had 16 tests, and on 14 first innings, they haven't passed 350. That's generally been their bowlers who've got them out of jail, or the lower order in a low-scoring, scrappy game have turned 120 for five into 310, and that's been just about enough. But it's not a long-term recipe for success. The problem is, when you brought it up there, can you drop Joss Butler? I, I would say don't go anywhere near that thought. I mean, he was the leading run scorer in Test cricket last summer for England, having not played Test cricket for a while, so he's, you know and he proved with that 100 at Trent Bridge against India, that he's adaptable. Stokes, you can't really drop because he's an all-rounder and he balances the team. And in England, the four seamers plus Moeen Ali works very nicely. I think Stokes should score more runs than he does. And and he's been averaging 28 since he came back after the um, the, the, the court case. So there is a problem for England. They, they've, they've got to sort it out. They can't keep being 20 for two and hoping that one of their dynamic middle-order players... Um, does it for them because then maybe Joe Clark will get will get the nod if that keeps happening for the record I'm not for a second saying that Ben Stokes should be dropped <laughs> um, well, his batting is, is an interesting yeah, discussion yeah. Um, a, a person touted a few years ago as a long term solution in England's top order Hasib Hamid he, we've talked about him before in the podcast he's got a double hundred for Lancashire last week um, albeit against Loughborough MCCU Um I've seen a few people on Twitter saying this is a really big innings for him, but he scored runs in um, in second team cricket in the last year as well. So I'm yeah, as Ben Gardner said in the office today, I'm not sure how how much of a big deal this innings really was. Yeah, fair point. I mean, I think psychologically scoring first team runs, even if it is against Loughborough students, is is the step he needed to make. Some people, some good judges will tell you that if if you just get your feet moving, which has been his problem for the last couple of years, then it doesn't really matter. Generally speaking, the quality of the bowling—you know—you can you can cope with the, with the next step up. And he did look. So I was in India for that series. He looked. You know, we all said this guy's going to get ten thousand test runs. There was no debate about it. He was the next England great. Mm. Uh, so to see him averaging nine last summer was was sad. Um, so I think there's a lot of hope now invested in him. So when he does score runs, even against Loughborough, we're all sort of we're, we're fighting, we're rooting for him. And the first importance of getting those runs was to get in the Lancashire team yeah. as well, because there's no guarantee he was even. We're talking about can he get back in the England side? Mm. There was no guarantee he'd necessarily get in the Lancashire side, particularly in the last year of his contract. Paul Allett's been pretty strong in saying that his career, at least at Lancashire, is mm. is on the line here. And to say anything else, I mean, so Phil um, Phil Walker did a piece. Uh, on Lancashire in our previous issue, which didn't go down especially well with some Lancashire fans who thought Alec was a bit harsh on Hamid. My view is he didn't say anything that Hamid wouldn't have known already. I mean, maybe it puts him under a bit more pressure, but it's not like he thought he was going fine. Mm. I mean, he's, he knows he's been having a tough time. Um, and maybe he needs a bit of a 
kick up the arse. I also thought that Alec was actually in it, it, also quite complimentary. He said perhaps the issue with Hamid is that he's he's just working too hard and trying too hard. Mm. And we'll see if there's a, a different attitude this season. Well, we'd all love to see Hamid in the runs this season. Um, the IPL, that's still going on. Isn't that great? Um, there was an amazing game yesterday. Mumbai Indians chased 198 to win off the last ball against Kings Eleven Punjab. Uh, Kale Rahul scored 100 for Punjab. And at one point in Mumbai's chase, they needed 65 off the last five overs and 32 off the last two overs. Uh, not a problem, though, for Kieran Pollard to channel his inner Andre Russell to hit 83 off 31 to seal the game for his team. Um, some incredible hitting in the IPL this year. Um, but also, some great names in the competition. I'm not sure if you guys have seen them, um, but yesterday, foreman by a, a chap called Sidesh Lad was playing, Sid the Lad. And for RCB last week, Ray Barman, who's 16, um, Ray the Barman, that's a great name. Um, and RCB, despite having Coley, Tavillias, Moeen, um, etc., they've still not won a game. They've lost six out of the last six. That is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, and, and seeing Coley not score runs is, is really kind of mm. unfamiliar yeah, feeling. It's really weird. Um, quite kind of reassuring that he is kind of human after all. And I guess a few England fans will be hoping that lean trot continues this summer at the World Cup. Before the IPL, he said that um, he wasn't going to, and the India setup wouldn't put that much importance on IPL performances when it came to World Cup selection. Um, and, and I wonder if that's actually true. The the, the tournament is so high profile, um, and if somebody has a great tournament, how can you ignore what they're doing in it? And on the other side of that, surely you think that if, if a player such as Kohli doesn't have the greatest IPL from on a personal level, you'd think that would affect him mentally going into World Cup, at least at some some level. I, I mean, I think with Kohli, there's always been a, a bit of a difference between his fifty over and his twenty over batting. He He's indisputably the best ever white ball, 50, mm. 50 over batsman yeah. and the best chaser. He averages something absurd, like 94 in successful chases for India. So he, he's very much the Bradman of, of one-day cricket. T20 is, is more of a lottery. <laughs> you know, you can be the best batsman in the world and you may have to score at 10 and over from mm. the moment you come in. I mean, Steve Smith is a guy who has never really cracked T20. Joe Root as well. I mean, he, he desperately trying to prove himself as a T20 player. Mm. And I don't think it's about the money. I think it's about he's, he's getting quite stubborn about it. He's not really a T20 player. Uh, so Cody's going to fail every now and then. But I, you know, we, we can't name Wisdom Cricketers of the Year twice in a row, which is a shame in some ways because I suspect Coley will probably be in the, in the running again next year when he, when he comes for the World Cup this time. Um, he, you know, he's he delightful, delight to watch. And yeah, you're right. It's weird seeing him struggle. And especially in a team with AB de Villiers, you think they'd clean up every time. And even, I mean, his strength of, character and willpower is kind of legendary but to lose as frequently as his team have been for a man who's not used to losing and doesn't take it especially well that it's not surprising if that hasn't is having mm. a slight knock-on effect on his batting and he must be frustrated because the side he's been given has no balance to it whatsoever it's clearly batting heavy without the bowling attack to to support that i wonder if um t20 cricket has evolved quite rapidly in the last few years um it was only in 2016 where Jerry was one of the players of that World T20. He can't get an IPL contract uh, in that tournament. Virat Kohli scored one of the one of the best T20 innings I've ever seen against Australia in the quarterfinals. Um, and when you see guys like Andrew Russell, who not only is he scoring these runs so quickly, but he's actually doing it consistently. That's a that's a game changer. Players like the, your classical players like Kohli, Smith, Root, uh, Williamson was the leading run scorer in the competition last year. Can't get into it. Sunrisers team. Um, these guys 
at the moment actually aren't capable of doing what the the biggest game changers are capable of doing. And um, yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I think I think I think maybe brute strength has become a factor. Mm. I mean, if t- if teams are now left with sort of fifty off three overs, but Russell's in or Pollard's in, you think they've probably got a chance of guessing. Yeah. Them. I mean, one of the games RCB lost was when Russell went berserk and he was he was dropped, wasn't he, on three or something got 47 off 13 balls I mean it's just absolutely absurd mm. and did it with five balls to spare so no no target seems defendable now whereas perhaps a few years ago I mean you met Root that night in, in Mumbai against South Africa that was his greatest ever T20 innings mm. and it was an all-time great T20 innings he just doesn't do it consistently because he's not he's not a brute strength player the likes of Pollard and, and Russell are sort of reinventing things a bit mm. Um, remember, folks, you can you can see Coley and De Villiers in the flesh for RCB against Rashid Khan and David Warner's Sunrisers Hyderabad on May the 4th. We've teamed up with Kingfisher Beer to give away two tickets that game, return flights to Bangalore, a stay in a five-star hotel and £500 spending money. To enter, go on wisdom.com, click on play and win on the homepage and then competitions. You'd be a fool not to enter. Lawrence, uh, this is an exciting time for you. The Almanac's out today. Yes, very exciting. Um, we had a, a, a swanky black tie dinner at Lords last night, which we always do on the eve of publication. And um, the, the cricketers of the year, whoever's not playing in the IPL, turns <laughs> up and they they get their special leather bound edition. And I do a round of interviews and try and persuade people to buy this strange old yellow book in the age of the internet. And it still just about works somehow. So yeah, busy time but very enjoyable. Um, so let's start with the five cricketers of the year. So this year the five are. Uh, Tammy Beaumont, Rory Burns, Joss Butler, Sam Curran and Virat Kohli. What's the process for choosing them? Well, it's the editor's choice, which is a nice perk, the the nicest perk of the job. Uh, Obviously, I talk to people. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not missing anyone obvious. It's based on the English summer, of course, and you can't have been chosen more than once. They're the two criteria that sometimes people don't don't quite grasp on on social (laughs) media when we name the five. Um, And essentially, you're you're looking at it from the start of the summer you're looking at the eligible candidates and then you're tracking the ones who make an early bid and you hope they keep going sometimes it's one test match sometimes it's an innings I mean if you Anya Shrubsoul was named last year because she she bowled England to victory in the World Cup final with that one spell and my thinking then was well if an England man had done that in a World Cup final no one would for a second question whether he should be a cricketer. Yeah, Stuart Broad was named in 2010 after his spell here at the Oval against Australia that, that Saturday of the of the crucial test. So it, it's a combination of things. You're looking for season-long excellence or moments of brilliance that change the summer. Sam Curran, two counter-attacking 50s, but without those, would England have won that series 4-1? They might have lost 3-2. So lots of judgments to take into account. It's good fun. I was going to ask you about Sam Curran because, um, yeah, it sounds, sounds crazy to say it, but those those 250s aside he didn't have an amazing summer but those 250s had such an impact on the summer as a whole yeah and i mean one of the the, the wording when we we try to explain exactly what it is in in the the almanac is influence on the english summer so it's it's a very specific thing it's not a predictor of greatness some people say oh how could he have chosen alan richardson in 2012 or ben duckett a couple of years ago he's dropped by england it's like well all we're talking about is how good a summer they had. We're not saying that this will be their best summer. Some people have said, "What well, you could have saved Curran for a few years' time. That's not how it works. We're looking at the eligible cast and who had the most impact on the previous summer. It felt like one of the easier years in terms of picking the five. Is that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there were two or three who got close, but I, was, I kept coming back to the five I, I went with. Um, and actually, it was interesting on social media, I didn't get the usual sort of dog's abuse Partly, I think, because Coley got chosen, <laughs> which which pleased 
India, so I got a lot, lot of love from India this year. Um, Tendulkar's retired. Tendulkar's so retired, <laughs> so even even the Indian fans have to accept he can't be chosen a second time. Um, and the other guy, yeah, well, the other guys in one woman were, were all for me gimmies really um i mean you could have argued at surrey that morning morka was in with a shout certainly some people said mohammed abbas um, yeah i thought he was he was the one i if i was guessing my five i think he was in my five he got an eight for at lords and took shed loads of wickets i'll tell you that, that yeah the interesting thing about abbas was you're absolutely right about lords that was a, that was an amazing performance he took in a bowler friendly season he took division two wickets mm. Now, if you're talking about the top five in the country, that for me is an issue. I, for me, Rory Burns scoring Division One runs in a bowler-friendly season is and captaining them to the title is is a bigger achievement. Sam Curran turned the series of the summer for England. Joss Butler was you had to pick him, and and Tammy Beaumont scored three hundred in three hundreds in nine days, including one of forty-seven balls, which mm. was a record. Ends up with the most runs in an English summer by an England lady cricketer. So. You know how do you how do you squeeze everyone in? Abbas was sixth or seventh, something like that, but not for, not the top five for me. But it's just an opinion. Well, if he gets Leicestershire promoted this this season, who knows? He might, might He's well in with be a shout. I mean, this season we've got, of course, a World Cup and an Ashes, so we should be spoilt for choice. Yeah. I mean, everyone in the world will be eligible in 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 effect. Um, I was going to ask you about that. So I was looking back at previous uh, cricket, Wisden cricketers of the year, and in two thousand there were five overseas players. So the year after, an England. World Cup um, do you feel a responsibility when you're picking the five to represent different facets of the game do you feel that there should be somebody who represents county cricket somebody who represents women's cricket um, I, I like it I, put it this way it's a bonus when the, the game is widely represented but I can't pick on that basis I mean I do like to have a county player but only if they, they merit their choice I thought Burns after it was his fifth season in a row of scoring a thousand runs mm. and Surrey's first title for 16 years though, and he gets an England cap you know those that combination of things was irresistible, but I wouldn't just pick a county player for the sake of it. I mean, the temptation can be sometimes to pick the captain of the winning county championship team and just just give it to him. But you're you're kind of doing down the the award if you do that. Equally, if you just pick a woman player because she's a woman, it's an insult to women cricketers. They have to they can't be token picks. I mean, last year we had three, of course, which was quite groundbreaking because of the previous 590 wisdom cricketers year only two had been women we've now had four of the la- in the last 10 and you could chosen. have had four that that year could have had five so yeah. i mean you know i i did think about picking five women last year tammy beaumont she was a leading run scorer and sarah yeah. taylor had a great world cup as well so mm, no yeah. one no one could have told me that was a gimmick i could look myself in the mirror and said these all worth their place but in the end i thought two others were were more worthy and thank goodness Beaumont has come out again and done done the job in 2018, so that made things easy. But no token picks would be you know that that way madness lies. This is Lawrence's eighth year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, we're closing on Sydney Pardon's record of of 35. <laughs> so I think you'd only be, happens, you'd be, only be 71. Mad. I think my wife will <laughs> leave me. I'll be 71. Yeah, I'll have had no life to to speak of. <laughs> but anyway, eight years eight years under your belt. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a few questions about the the stint so far. What yeah. what would you say? What has been your talk about the wording of this earlier? What's been your most either controversial or unpopular decisions? You think so far in your in your time? Yeah, well, to judge by Twitter's response, pretty well every decision I'd say. Um, I mean, of the five, I, I looking back at uh, twenty thirteen or the twenty fourteen book, I chose Shikhar Darwan on the basis of his Champions Trophy form. Uh, and we dis- we discussed it a lot in the Wisden office, and 
there weren't that many strong candidates that year. Look, looking back, it, Darwin does feel pff, flaky is the wrong word, but perhaps not the strongest. But I, I honestly couldn't couldn't see who else to go with that summer, which you could argue is a weakness of the um, of the criteria. Um, Alan Richardson, was, for me, I enjoyed that pick because he he'd single handedly saved Worcestershire from relegation. He was taking. 70 wickets at 22 year in year out and he felt to me like a certain type of county player that needed rewarding he was almost a reward for all the county stalwarts yeah. who'd come before him and he was so t- he's the only so far he's the only wisdom cricket of the year while I've been doing the job who who wrote me a thank you letter after coming to the yeah. dinner which is very sweet he's a, he's a lovely man and I gather he's uh, I think I think the re- newspaper report of him getting the award is up in his downstairs toilet at home so it meant a lot to him. Um, I mean, obviously, that's not a reason for picking them as Wisdom Cricketers of the Year, just so you can see them be happy. But it was quite rewarding. So those are probably the ones that, that people talk about sometimes. I mean, th- having said that, of course, three women chosen in 2018. I did get some stick for that. There were, I remember there was a piece written in the Daily Mirror by their chief sports writer who said, um, he said it's tokenism. Uh, he said, well done to, well done to the three, but it's tokenism. The argument wasn't advanced much further than that. And I, and I knew it wasn't tokenism. Um, Heather Knight had captained England to the World Cup. If a man had done that, no question. And she'd scored lots of runs. Nat Siver had been the star all-rounder, and she'd had a shot in, named after her, the, the Nat Meg, the one through the legs, which hadn't been played since the 19th century, you know, the draw it was called in those days. And Anya Shrubsoul had, as we mentioned earlier, had, um, produced that, that match-winning spell in the final. So I, I couldn't yeah. leave those three out, any of them. Well, to describe it as tokenism suggests more about that person's perception of women's cricket well, than I think the selections so. themselves. I think so, I because I mean, that, we all know that that summer was the, was the breakthrough moment for, for women's cricket. And now, what's been interesting this year with Tammy Beaumont being mentioned is it didn't really make any headlines. A woman among the five, for the first time, didn't make a headline. And while we want headlines for Wisden, I'm happy that that wasn't the one people picked out. It's, I hope it's normalised it. Equally, I'm not going to go for token picks in future years. You, you alluded to it earlier. So in the 21st century with the internet, and it's very easy to find records of cricket going around the world, um, Wisden's importance is almost, would you say, has changed? So previously, historically, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a book of record, it was really important. But now, do you think that you want the Almanac to be remembered more perhaps for its writing than, than the records? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. When you go to a press box now at a test match, you, you see very few... Wisden Almanacs. Um, that you uh, it probably used to be about ten. It was the book that people would go to before some of the older school journalists got used to using Statsguru on Kriginfo. Mm. Um, so Wisden, an annual can't possibly compete with the way internet does stats. So we have to be cleverer, really, in the, about the way we do stats. We do, we always want numbers in Wisden because I think part of the experience of browsing through Wisden is to jump around and you you see that you know that the, the guys who've carried their bat. In test cricket, there's a full list at the back, and then that might send you to the test report of the, the game if one of those innings happened in that particular book, and you read about that, and you go to the index, and usually you jump around. So numbers are still fundamental to wisdom, but yes, as you say, we want people to enjoy the writing. We have 250 pages of, I think, really high quality writing at the at the front of wisdom, um, and I hope people think it's a good book to read and not just to stick on the shelves and check a stat for. What would you say is your the, the favourite piece that you published, or the piece you've got most enjoyment out of publishing, perhaps over over that time? Actually, yeah, I I thought about this before I came on, and um, I took the liberty of taking a, a photo of the opening paragraph of this piece. Um, it was in it was it was it, it was in the hundred fiftieth edition of Wisdom in two thousand and thirteen. So it was apparently there's a work called the Sesquicentenary, 
which uh, which I got to know that year. Anyway, that was our sesquicentenary, <laughs> and the piece was written by uh, Chris Ryan, who wrote a brilliant, as we know, um, Golden Boy. Yeah. And I just asked him to, I said, like, I want you to write something for Wisden. Have you got an idea? It was a great, great piece of commissioning, I say so myself. <laughs> and he came up with this piece about Jeff Thompson, a game in, a club game in 1973, where he he put a guy in hospital, another one hit wicket. He took six for 30. Um, and Chris uh, tells a story very vividly. And I'll just read out the opening part, if you don't mind. Go for it. It's a brilliant piece. Um, Jeff Thompson, running late, rolls over, sits upright, thinks of the many annoyances and injustices in his life, remembers how he hates liars and cheats, gets out of bed. He often drinks scotch instead of beer because beer hangovers make him feel, wake him up feeling bloated and lethargic. This morning he's in a lousy mood, cranky but loose, which for Thompson is the optimum state of being for days fast bowling. Without a glance in the mirror, he stuffs his white clothes under his arm and leaves the house on the last day of 1973. And what emerges then is the way he terrorises these poor club batsmen. Right. After, you know, there are teeth falling out on the there's blood everywhere. He takes six for 39, uh, bowls him out for 90. And the way Chris captures that sense of... Uh, he, he questioned the, the, the question he poses, actually, was this the fastest spell ever bowled in cricket history? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a slight artistic licence with the question, but he, he, he backs it up with, with brilliant prose. And, you know, that, that's probably, I think, still my favourite piece in wisdom. He's an extraordinary writer, isn't he? I've never not enjoyed an article I've, I've read of his, and he always has something original to say. I think he did a piece, one of the very first Night Watchman um, pieces, uh, publications on the evolution of Shandapal's stance, which was so intricate. And I mean, if you tried to get anyone who didn't like cricket to read it, they would just be like, "What? what is this? <laughs> yeah. What is this? But if you do like cricket, then you have access to this mm. writing which um, yeah is 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 completely brilliant. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a bit of a genius, really, Chris. He um, I mean, he did a book recently with Patrick Eager, which just focused on the photos Patrick had taken in 1975, and he got Patrick to talk through his thought process, and Chris kind of wrote wrote the words for it, and it was typically detailed, in depth um, piece of work. Chris is uh, he's not easy to edit because he is so he'll argue over a comma for a whole paragraph, you know. In the end, you're just like, have the comma, Chris. <laughs> you're probably right, actually. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's one of my favourite cricket writers. Probably worth mentioning that a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence, you were on a part of our panel when we were discussing the best cricket books ever written. Um, that's not come out yet, but there will be a special podcast on that coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, going back to the almanac, I, one bit I've always been interested in is, is the school section. Why do you still include it and why do you think it's important? Um, well, yeah, there's a there's a bit of a misconception about the school s- section, which we try and we try and do our best to fight. People sort of say it's the public school section, and by and large, it is. Now, that's not because we only want records from public schools. We encourage all schools. We want state schools. We want more girls' schools as well to to send in their results. The reality is that you know state school cricket has has virtually vanished. So the only schools playing cricket are, are private schools now. We're we're essentially reflecting that rather sad reality. We wish it weren't the case. Why does it exist? It's quite interesting to see. Often, Test cricketers have had uh, good school careers. So, for for one thing, it's quite good fun to go back and and follow their their school career. This year, in in the book, we have a, an article by Shil Berry on Alistair Cook, and we we have a sidebar on what Wisden said about Cook. And the first entry was him at Bedford School. People saying, well, you know, not a promise, uh, quite a promising young left-hander here. You know, he'll go places. So you can you can kind of see the judgments that Wisdom have made. Partly, look, there there is a commercial angle to it. Um, if you 
if you buy wisdom when you've been named in, in the in the school section that maybe maybe you'll start collecting it and maybe that's a good way to get youngsters into wisdom maybe their you know their auntie or their, their grandpa will buy them the wisdom in which they were first mentioned in the school section um so you could argue that it punches above its weight in terms of the space it takes but there is it, it's you know th- there are good reasons behind it and then in that 250 page uh, bit of writing at the front um as editor how do you go about deciding what that contains yeah that's probably the hardest part actually um you know editors notes are quite daunting because you know you're going to be quoted all over the place so you have to and be interviewed about it and you have to have all your your facts and arguments lined up but perhaps the unseen hard bit of doing wisdom is getting that the, the comment section right um you're you're trying to get a balance of things essentially you're trying to reflect the main themes of the previous year while also uh, noticing an anniversary that's gone by. I mean, this year, for example, we have a piece by Jonathan Liu on the hundred. I don't mean the, the the awful new tournament starting next year. I mean scoring a hundred runs because it's we noticed that it was the two hundred fiftieth anniversary of the first ever recorded mm-hmm. hundred by a guy called John wow. Minsell in Kent, seventeen sixty nine. He notched one hundred and seven runs for the Duke of Norfolk's eleven against um, Rotham, something like that, in, in Kent. So we Jonathan did a lovely piece on the whole the, the nature of of counting and why the hundred became such a, th- a thing in cricket. In fact, when when John Minsell scored it, it barely got mentioned in the press because the idea of a hundred wasn't so ingrained as, as it is now. So you can go off on all sorts of tangents. Um, anniversaries are quite useful. We got Rob Smythe on the 1979 World Cup, retelling it essentially, which he does brilliantly. Of course, it's 40 years since the last time England reached a home World Cup final. So you're always looking out for these pegs to hang a story on. I suppose I'm always looking out as an editor for a peg, essentially. Um, there has to be a reason to write the piece. Um, it has to be an interesting idea, brilliantly written. We've got time to edit it. We have a year. We can go back and forth with the authors. I often send back the first draft, say, look, don't take this personally, but here's how I try to improve it. What do you think? They'll come back with the second draft. And that way you get to a kind of consensus. And that's one of the joys of the job, actually. You're working with really good writers who want to get the best possible piece because they know it's going to sit there for all eternity on someone's bookshelf. What's your favourite bit of of that section this year gosh it's tricky uh, i mean the two pieces i mentioned were very readable um john hotton did a nice piece on the, the the mysterious uh life of the groundsman partly because mick hunt had had retired after 49 years as head groundsman at lords um raf nicholson again another inspired piece of commissioning i went to her and said what's the best women's cricket story that's never been told and she went away and thought about it and she came back with Look, I found these. I've got these diaries from Netta Reinberg, who managed the England women's first post-war tour to Australia and New Zealand. And what emerges is this sort of matri- kind of post-war but still imperial matriarch who's who thinks that um, she can boss the Aussies and New Zealanders around, tell them how to play cricket. Winnings, winnings a bit coarse. <laughs> you know, playing the game in the right way is the right. So it's a, it's a lovely piece of social history. I think Wisdom's at its best when it does social history. You know, you're able to pick up a book and sort of work out. Um, where where the country was at at that point, or how we've moved on in in terms of a, you know the Netta Reinberg diaries. Um, I don't just I'm, there's room for purely cricket pieces, but I I, some, I think we need a balance. I mean that's in answer to your earlier question. That's another thing I try to take into account. We don't just want you know te- technical pieces, um, but we want some insight into the way that cricket relates to the real world. And do you get the impression that sorry, just going back to your five cricketers of the year, does it still does wisdom still mean the same thing to players playing the game these days in England and overseas? The sense I get when I tell a player they've been named is that you know they, it, it still means something. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember sitting once at a 
perhaps one of the wisdom dinners next to Mike Gatting, actually, and I said to him, you know, was it a big deal for you when you got named? And he said, he said the thing every county cricketer wanted was to score, or a batsman, was to score 100 against all the other counties and be a wisdom cricketer of the year. Those are the two things they wanted to t- tick off, assuming they'd you know, perhaps gone and play for England as well. Um, so that, that was quite an eye-opener. Um, so gen- generally speaking, the responses are lovely. You know, the, the cricketers of the year who can make the dinner will bring their their wife or or husband, as may happen in, in future years. Um, uh, fiance, part Rory Burns turned up last night with his uh, fiance. They're getting married in, in Italy later this year, and, and she she really enjoyed the experience. And I think he did more because she did. And and I I think it does mean something. Um, long may it continue. It's a quirky award, you know. It's a, it's a hall of fame. You're invited to it once, and that's it. And you're there forever. And it's not necessarily your best summer. And perhaps there were three other players who had a better summer than you. But it's how it works. There are plenty of awards that just give the top five batsmen. They're, they're quite mm. dull in a way. Would you want Joe Root winning a Wisdom Cricket of the Year each year? Would yeah. Take away from the charm of it. And for someone like Vera Coley, who's international cricket, leading men's cricketer of the year for the third year in a row, got his five cricket of the year award. Do you know what? Have you got a sense of what how that impacts on him? I mean, he obviously he cares deeply about Test cricket. He clearly cares about the heritage of the game. In my mind, he would he would care about wisdom. But yeah, I've, I've, to be honest, generally speaking, we get a, an exclusive interview with the cricketer for the piece where we pick a, you know, the writer picks a couple of quotes, but c- couldn't get near Virat for, for that piece. Didn't expect to. Mm. Haven't seen him tweet about it. I suppose news has got back to him. But look, he's the most fated man in world cricket isn't he this probably be regarded as just another gong and it's an English book I don't honestly know how much it means to him but certainly there was a good response from Indian fans on Twitter mm. which sort of suggests that they're paying attention to this mm. I mean they're they're certainly aware if we don't pick an Indian cricketer which which shows that they they invest some kind of value into it um how, how do you tell the five that they've they are one of the five. So do you just pick up the phone and say, hey, Vera, got some good news for you? <laughs> Wish I had his number. Um, <laughs> no, it's mixed, actually. Occasionally, I'll bump into them. Occasionally, I'll just drop <laughs> them a text message. Well, if I know that I'm going to a game and they're going to be there, I'll make sure I go over and, and say hello to them and, yeah. and explain the news. Uh, often, it's a it's a WhatsApp message. And then and then I'll meet them properly and I'll try and get them to the dinner. Then they have a formal presentation of their leather-bound edition. If not, there'll be some... You know, I'll grab five minutes with them before the start of a test match on the outfield and the photo will be taken. We'll do it on social media. It's very much you make it up as as you mm. go along. Um, but yeah, the response is always always pretty heartening. It must be nice to deliver such a lovely piece of news, especially after years of being a journalist, hassling players <laughs> to tell pe- tell you stuff that they don't well, want to say. And <laughs> Yeah, it's one way of getting an interview. Put it that way. <laughs> it's actually, I might have to stay in this job so just so I can keep getting those interviews. But yes, no, you're right. Um, I remember Chris Wokes being at gutted that he couldn't come to the dinner a couple of years back. Um, I think it might have been IPL, possibly. Um, so I had to do him on the outfield with the, with the book, and he was lovely. Big. I mean, look, the, it's rare in journalism, as you say, to actually be breaking a good piece of news. Yeah. But it used to be that if a journalist got wind of a, a test squad, he'd ring up the player for, for comment, um, you know, the days when teams were named on CFAX. Nowadays, this is probably about as close as you get. Um, what's, what's the best way for someone to get their hands on an almanac? Uh, well, go into any good bookshop at the moment. Uh, you can go onto the Bloomsbury website there, where you can subscribe to Wisdom. You get uh, for two years, each one for £25, which is less than half price. I'd thoroughly recommend that. Of course, you can go to Amazon as well if you want, but the, 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 the Bloomsbury.com option is currently the cheapest and um, it locks you in for two years, so you'll get hooked, hopefully. Well, Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Good fun.
And Joe, thank you very much for coming on. Cheers, Jazz. And well, if you like the podcast, you're listening for the first time, well, share it on social media, tell all your friends and make some noise on the internet. See you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.